Welcome to the audio podcast of The Father's House. We hope and pray that you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. We're in this series, we're in this season, we're on this journey called Beyond, where we are expanding the ministries of the church once again. We're expanding the geographical footprint and making a way for people that are not here yet, reaching people that are far from God, and uh, it's exciting to be a part of it. And so I want to talk to you about that. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, I would encourage you to go online, either podcast or you can check out the YouTube, um, whatever they call that stuff, but tfh.org. You, you, can, you can watch the videos. The messages that we've been bringing are sequential, so I'd love you to go back to the first week and talking about being all in on the team, taking this journey together. Uh, last week, I talked about surrender, what happens when you climb that mountain and give God everything, what's on the other side of surrender. And uh, today, we're going to jump back in. One of the things we've been doing is you'll see these acrylic cylinders up here full of names, and uh, there's these cards. In fact, these are filled out by our kids' ministry, and uh, they wrote down names of friends, and, and the number one name on these cards by our kids' ministry was what? Dad. One kid wrote down, he said, I'm praying my dad will come to Jesus and bring me to church. And so we're praying for all these names, thousands of names. We had cards sent in from Iran, uh, from Oregon, from Alabama, from different nations. People are saying, pray for my friends and loved ones. And uh, so if you have not filled one of those out, these will be a part of the new building. And um, uh, we got this box. I found this back in the, in the green room today. Uh, Pastor Raymond dropped this off from Solano Prison, and in this box are cards from all of our inmates praying for other inmates and for their family. So could you give it up for Solano Prison? We love you guys. Could you just stretch your hands out? Father, we agree right now for every name on every card. I pray for every inmate that faith would rise up in their heart, for the loved ones, the family members, as we place these cards in these boxes, let salvation come in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. So we've had this mantra during uh, the series, God's not done, so it's about a six to a seven, maybe give you another chance later. Now, I want to, uh, this is off topic, but as I was preparing the message, uh, this verse kept came in up, coming up in my spirit. It, it's evidence that God's not done in your life. Now, some of you believed a lie that you missed your window, you've sinned too many times, you've been off the team for too long, you've lapped around the same sin pattern too many times, and you've actually believed a lie that the best days are behind you. Let me just identify it for what it is. It's a lie. If you're still breathing, God's still working. He's not done in your life. He's got a great plan. It can start this morning. And uh, I want to read Ephesians 2.10 from the Amplified Version. Let's go to the Word. For we are God's workmanship. We're His masterpiece, His work of art. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, transformed and renewed us so we can do the good things and accomplish the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared things in advance for your life. You've been uniquely gifted and called. There's things in your future you've yet to discover. Now, this isn't some kind of sloppy sovereignty, you know, okay, Sarah, if it's meant to be, face plant, and there you are in the destiny of God. No, the Apostle Paul said this, I'm forgetting those things that are behind me, and I'm stretching, I'm reaching, I'm pressing into the future to ascertain, to lay hold of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. 
So you got to get involved in this process. You got to partner with God for the good destiny that he has for you. And it comes with surrender and it comes with sacrifice and it comes with you bringing your life and just saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. And then you begin to discover some things that you were unaware of. You know, it's happened in my life personally, and it's happened in our church over 26 years. We've seen God reveal some things and good works and uh, amazing opportunities. We had no idea they were out there until we ran after him with all of our heart. So I just want to encourage you at the front end of this message to go after God. You know, if this is your home church or if God's adding you, I see a lot of new faces every week, and I love that. Uh, We're believing that during this campaign that we'd be 100% participation. And giving is not about an amount. It's not equal giving. It's equal heart sacrifice. So it's the widow's might or the millionaire's whatever he gives. I mean, God looks at the heart, not at amounts. Here's the key. Are you all in to be used by God in this process? As we're praying this prayer, if this is your home church, bring this up. Here's the prayer we're praying. Father, what do you want to do through me in this Beyond campaign? Would you be so bold as to read that with me? Come on, let's read it. Father, what do you want to do through me in this Beyond campaign? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to listen, because the sheep hear his voice. And if you pray with no agenda, you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to do whatever God says. But here's the key. This is not what you can do for God. It's actually what God can do through you. So in the next couple of years, as we go into this giving campaign and ex- expand the ministries, it's not like, hey, you know, what's God trying to get out of me? I'm going to talk today about sacrificial giving. I'm going to talk to you about living with an open hand. Now, right there, time out. Some people, when they hear that, especially at church, they think that God's trying to get something out of them. Let me just be clear. God is not trying to get something out of you in the way of resources, time, talent, whatever your possessions. God is trying to get something through you. He wants to take your life and turn it into a channel and do it exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine according to the working of the Holy Spirit within you. And so we're going to open up our heart to that. I want to talk to you about the potential of sacrifice. Now, there's a cycle in the Word of God that I want to show you. Maybe you've never seen this. There's a cycle in the Word of God when it comes to sacrifice, giving, and living with, and living with an open hand. And, and we can step into that today if, if you've never walked down this road. Because a lot of times people, when they hear the word sacrifice, they think, oh, I got to give up something. God's trying to give, get something out of me. And it, it's equated with loss. But let me give you a great definition of sacrifice. Here it is. To give up or surrender something of value for the sake or cause of something greater. To give up or surrender something of value for the sake or cause of something greater. You know, every, every parent in the room understands sacrifice, amen? Especially the moms. Come on, how many moms in the room wave at me? It's not Mother's Day, but could we show them some love today? Moms are the embodiment of sacrifice. I mean, you sacrificed your own body and then sleepless nights and all that went on. And then parents, we sacrificed to give our kids perhaps what we didn't have growing up and give them a good education. And if you consider, though, any great artist, any great actor, uh, musician, uh, athlete, you're going to see some components in their life. They lived lives of commitment to what they were striving for. And then there were sacrifices that were made. I'll just give you a few examples. There was a famous uh, violinist named uh, Fritz Kreisler. And uh, in his day, Fritz Kreisler was regarded as the greatest violinist of all time. 
He died in 1962. Toward the end of his career, a woman rushed up to him after a concert and cried, I'd give my life to play as beautifully as you do, to which he replied, I did. Tiger Woods, here you go, the OG of the Lynx right here. Greatest golfer to ever play the game. There, some people might want to get Jack Nicklaus, and um, I don't know who, who you like, but just go with me on this. I, I'm living my truth right now. It's, it's Tiger. On his rise to becoming the greatest golfer of all time, for years, Tiger Woods would put in 13-hour days in preparation for tournaments, starting with a gym workout at dawn, then two hours on the range, a full round of golf, and then back to the practice facility after lunch to work on his short game, followed by nine more holes of golf. Serena Williams holds more Grand Slam tennis titles than any other man or woman in history, one more than Nadal and Jokovic, so props for Serena. But Venus and Serena, by the way, there's a great movie out about their upbringing. Uh, they would arrive at the tennis courts every morning at 6 a.m., hit tennis balls for two hours before school, then go straight from school back to tennis practice or tournaments and events. Michael Jordan, the OG of the round ball right there, Mr. Hoop himself right there, number 23, no one greater. I don't want to hear any LeBron James coming up in the crowd. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Some, you know, some people, Kobe Bryant. Hey, you live your truth, but here's, here's, okay. I'm just messing with you. I preach, yeah, I preach that basketball. Jordan told his coach at the University of North Carolina he wanted to become the best player in the history of their college, to which Roy Williams said, then you're going to have to work much harder than you did in high school. And Jordan replied, I'll show you. No one will ever work as hard as I work. And during his rise to becoming the legend that he is today, he'd practice five to six hours every day. This did not include his team practices and games. Now, a life of significance, and we were looking at some of the greats, and of course you say, well, Dave, they're highly gifted and talented. But there are a lot of highly and gifted lazy people that you'll never hear about. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. But greater than putting on a green jacket or holding up the trophy at Wembley, you know, or the big trophy in the finals, what about those who've achieved something for eternity? And they won't see their trophy until we stand face to face. In fact, the word tells us when we see him, when we behold him, we will throw our crowns. That is the honor that people have given us. We'll take our honor and throw it at the feet of Jesus. But there will be a day when everyone will be recorded and rewarded according to every work you've done in, on the earth. And so living lives for eternity, I'm going to read a, a little something out of the journey guide here. Some folks that made an impact. As I was reading these and thinking about it, the church that we're a part of, we're here because of the blood of the martyrs. Do you know that the apostles who planted the New Testament church in the book of Acts, all of them gave their life. Some beheaded, some hung upside down, some died in prisons or exiled on Patmos, and their blood was shed so that someone else could hear the gospel. And that is the nature of sacrifice. It's the one giving up their life or their time or their substance for the betterment of others. You know, as I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think, uh, I'm a bit of a patriot. I think you guys know that, but I so appreciate our men and women of uniform. Can we just give them a hand real quick? And, and if you serve or if you have served, I just want to honor you for the sacrifices that have been made for a couple hundred years, blood that has been spilled so that we can experience today the freedom of worshiping in this open space and living like we do. Someone paid a great price. 
Here's a couple others out of your journey guide. Mother Teresa, at the time of her death in 1997, was overseeing almost 700 missionary centers, which were operating in over 100 countries. This little tiny lady about this tall, who could have lived in the ivory towers of the Catholic Church, but she decided to give her life in the slums and the ghettos of Calcutta, ministering in the leper colonies. And when someone asked her, Mother Teresa, why did you choose this life? She said, I didn't choose it. I'd simply get up in the morning and meditate on Jesus. Then I'd go out to look for him in disguise. And that's what sacrifice looks like. Now, hundreds of millions of people have been inspired by Mother Teresa's life. Martin Luther King Jr., the great abolitionist who gave his life for a dream of racial equality in our nation. He died at the age of 39, as you well know, a martyr for the message of freedom. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And by the way, the Salvation Army back in the day was more than red buckets at Christmas in a great thrift store. It was an evangelism, soul-saving machine. And William Booth, he got a, a burden for the broken and the, the outcast in the city of London. And so he'd begin to preach in the slums and ghettos and give them a bowl of soup and preach the gospel. And of course, it spread throughout Europe and then crossed over into America. And when they asked William Booth his motivation and why the Salvation Army has spread globally and reached so many people, here's what he said. I'll tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of all Jesus Christ could do with them, on that day, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. So I want to ask you a personal question. How much of you does God have? Does he have all of you? Have you taken your heart, your time, your talent, your treasure, your future, your gifting, your plans, and laid them on the altar? See, it's by grace. It's not something that we achieve or strive or earn. It's like, I'm going to work harder to be a great Christian. No, it's a Romans 12, 1 principle. It says, brothers and sisters, I beseech you, that is, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, in light of his mercy, which is his kindness, his compassion, his loving kindness, and his grace. He says, in view of what God has already extended to you, then I'm asking you to present your bodies, which means the entirety of all you are, as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is not some kind of high mark or elite club. He said, it's your reasonable act of worship. And when you do this, then he says, you will prove, you will test, and you'll live out, you will live to see the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God for my life. You know, people are asking me and other leaders, and hey, Dave, how do I find God's will for my life? And what's God's perfect will for my life? Well, let me just tell you, you can know it and walk it out if you keep your life on the altar. You guys heard the problem with living sacrifices, right? They crawl off the altar when the fire gets hot. And so if I will keep my life before him and say, God, like William Booth, you have all that I am, the passion of my heart, it's yet to be seen, Dwight L. Moody said, what can be done through one man or one woman who is fully yielded to Christ? So I got to ask the what if. What if we had a church full of people that were over themselves? What if we had a church full of people that actually died to their ambition And they said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
What would a church look like of people that were living with an open hand and an open heart and say, God, use us to our full capacity? I think they could change a city. I think they could change a state. I think they could change a nation. Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? You may say, I'm a dreamer. I'm just having a personal moment of reflection. (laughs) Miss John Lennon. So I want to talk to you about a cycle of grace that perhaps you've never stepped into. And and to set the stage for this, uh, we'll be looking at a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, what had uh, taken place was the church, it's about 55 AD, so the church is about 20 years old after Jesus' ascension, and persecution was on the church. The Roman government was going and knocking on the doors of Christians and taking them, imprisoning them, and they were actually fed to the lions in the arenas in Rome and other major cities. It was the dispersa, it was called. So the believers, the people of the way, were scattered all over the known earth. And so Paul goes on this tour and he preaches in Ephesus and Thessaloniki and Athens and different cities. And everywhere he went, he was taking an offering. He did a two-year fundraising campaign to raise a huge amount of money to help the poor believers back in Jerusalem. Well, back in Jerusalem, there's a lot of the believers who couldn't get out. They couldn't afford to travel. And historians believe there were two reasons for the great poverty of the Christians in Jerusalem. One, there was a drought which causes severe famine, and then they were in persecution. The Roman government had the right to come and take their land and to take their house. So Paul says, we're going to raise some money and we're gonna be generous, we're gonna live with an open hand, then from all the churches, the apostles are gonna carry this money by ship, by horseback, by mule, back to Jerusalem and take care of these believers. It was a huge feat of strength. You think, okay, Dave, thanks for the ancient history lesson. But guess what? Do you know that the letter that Paul wrote to Corinth was preserved by the Holy Spirit and circulated to all the churches in Asia Minor and then circulated the next century to all the churches in the known world? And the Holy Spirit said, I want that in the canon of Scripture, which is now your Bible. So God preserved these chapters and this message about how to give for us today. The Holy Spirit, when he writes the word, he doesn't write it for one generation. It is good. It lasts forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Lord says, my word will never pass away. His word is alive and powerful. What I'm trying to tell you is the book of Corinthians is for you right here, right now, this morning. And so Paul writes to the church, and he shows us this cycle of sacrifice, grace, provision, increase. Sacrifice, grace, provision, increase, grace, sacrifice, and around and around until God just moves in our lives in ways that are beyond what we could comprehend. Well, at the beginning of this, I'm having problems with my microphone, but I'll work it out. Don't let me distract you. Um, So he starts out, he's complimenting the church at Corinth. He says, listen, you guys are doing great in uh, teaching, and he says, you have some eloquent teachers and you're, you know the word, and you've loved me as your apostle. But he says, and then this verse is going to come up on the big screen. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Can you all read that with me with some passion? Here we go. See that you also excel in this grace. I want you to see something today, church. Giving is a grace. He didn't say, see that you excel in this obligation of giving, in this duty of giving. If someone shames you into giving, you know, the Pharisees, they had the pride of giving, but giving is a grace. What is grace? Charis. It's the divine influence of God upon your heart, which has a reflection in your life. You are who you are by the grace of God. 
I'm in this building today, not by any of my works, but by the grace of God. And this same grace that draws us and saves us will also influence our hearts and make us generous. You see, generosity is the atmosphere of heaven. It's the nature of God himself. And any time I close my fist and get stingy, I'm operating not only on a lower level, but actually on a demonic level. The demonic world says, it's all about me and mine and my reputation and my stuff. All that is from below. But the closer you get to the heavenly father, the more of his word and his spirit that fills your life, the more you're just going to want to bless some people, give some stuff away, have this attitude that it all belongs to him anyway. Preaching so much better than you're responding, but I'll keep going. I will not be discouraged. I'll drink to that. Let me ask you something. How are your investments going? Are you good? No, I need to talk to your man then. I'm getting a beat down. Stock market has not been pretty for me in the last couple of years. And, you know, I can see retirement down the road and all that. And so you start to worry. You're like, man, can't invest in stocks? Bitcoin, that tanked. Just seeing if I had any buy-in on that. Nope. Everybody's ashamed. Banks are closing. Oh, snap. What do you say? And yeah, prepare for your retirement. The, the Bible says that a wise man provides an inheritance for his children's children. So savings and storing up money for your family, that's God's idea. But here's the thought. Jesus said, do not store up treasure on earth where moth and rust and dust come in and corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Yeah, how do you store treasure in heaven? Wouldn't it be great if there was a heavenly ATM? You just go down there and a little angel says, ah, welcome. Put your cash in, whoop. You know, that'd be, be nice. Let me tell you how you store up treasure in heaven. You invest in things. You invest in church. You invest in ministry. You invest in people that are doing something for eternity. And when you do that, you're making an investment that cannot be shaken. But here's the deal. It's a grace. It's not a coercion or a duty or a manipulation. And if you've ever felt like God's trying to get something out of you or the pastor's trying to get your 10%, make you tithe, you're missing the message. This is not about grace. And by the way, if you ever feel coercion, manipulation, or some kind of I'm being sold a Christian timeshare at church, rebuke that in Jesus' name. We are not here to manipulate anybody. We are here to preach the word and allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to cause you to become generous. Hey, if you read the Bible, you'll be a tither. If you read the Bible, you'll be generous. If you follow Jesus, you will give and you'll give more and you'll be blessed until pretty soon you'll be a channel of blessing far beyond what you can imagine. So here's the call to generosity. Second Corinthians, I'll read you a few verses. A call to generous giving. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through. God in his kindness has done through. One translation says grace bestowed or grace bestowed upon the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. Look at that. Many troubles or tribulations and they're very poor. If you look into the Greek on that, they, it was extreme poverty. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in what? rich generosity. Are you guys seeing this? These are contradictions. This is a glaring oxymoron. God's saying severe trial, yet they have extreme joy. How do you do that? You live a life that's not about you in the temporary. 
Do you know that people in persecuted uh, states and nations in history, the Christians, have far more joy than the affluent, blessed Westerners? Why? Because it's not about substance and comfort. Joy is an internal attitude of your soul that is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy comes from communion with and walking with the source of joy, and that is the Holy Ghost. So you can have some joy in severe trial. Then he says, they, even though they were very poor, they were rich in generosity. Generosity is not a dollar amount. So in the synagogue uh, back in Israel, they would have their giving buckets up front. And many times the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they would sit there with their arms folded in a scowl, watching people come up to drop their shekels in the bucket, judging them for who gave what. So Jesus shows up with his boys one day. He says, hey, let's go stand up there by the offering bucket, shall we? And I can imagine Jesus, the rabbi, just shuffles up there, posts up right next to the offering bucket. This little widow comes in. She has two mites. And all the Pharisees and the rich dudes are dropping bags, of, you know, shiching, bling. And they got, look at me, man. <laughs> Here you go, Lord. And this little lady, it would be like a half a cent, two mites, a half a penny in our currency. And she, tink. Jesus looks at the boys. He says, this woman has given more than anybody else here today because she gave out of her lack, not abundance. It was a sacrifice. Sacrifice is relative to your situation. You know, when we raised 10 million or so to build this building, uh, I was excited. We had one guy said, I'm going to give a million bucks. And we had one man, he goes to Napa campus, doesn't even attend here. One business guy gave $450,000 himself to help us build this facility. Amazing generosity. But you know what impressed me even more? We had this little, I think she was a seven-year-old girl. She started making these bracelets, right? And she started selling to people in the church. And she said, this is for the Imagine campaign. Well, she was on to it. She's like, these Christians will buy these bracelets. <laughs> so she's out at the front door, you know, just like, just. And she raised like $200 selling a seven-year-old girl. And I'm like, this little girl has given more than anybody else. So it doesn't matter the state of your bank account. It's the attitude of your heart. Hey, hey, time out, because someone's trying to tune me out right now. I'm not going to let you tune me out. Because you think God's trying to take something away from you. You think God's trying to get something from you, and he's not. He does not need your money. God is trying to get something through you, stretch your heart and your faith so you can live a bigger life. That's what this is about. If that came across as a rebuke, you're welcome. Number one, generosity and sacrificial giving are not determined by circumstances or bad economy. Let me just point this out, that in 2008, does anybody remember 2008? I'm trying to forget it. Housing market, tank, bank collapses, economy, worst inflation we had back since the 70s. It was just a, a horrific year. But at the end of that year, guess what we did? We needed to buy a piece of land. So a small group of believers, the church was much smaller back in 2008. We raised several million dollars and bought the 22 acres that you're sitting on right now in the time of a bad economy. I'm just saying God's economy is not contained to what you see around. It's supernatural. And so the church uh, in, at Corinth and the Macedonians discovered this. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it. Can we read the bowl together? Of their own. Thank you. They begged us. What? They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. 
They even did more than we had hoped for the first action was to give themselves to the Lord. That's very important. And then to us, the leadership of the church, as God wanted them to do. Here's what happens. When you give yourself first to the Lord, there's a surrender that happens. And then you want to get planted in the house. You're not going to want to get planted in church and submit to spiritual covering. Ephesians 4, it's God's idea. Pastors, evangelists, teachers, apostles, prophets. He, pla- he, he gave me, well, let me put it this way. I'm God's gift to you. <laughs> Woo! Yeah! Remember, your grandma got you that yellow tie at Christmas? All right, you're welcome. But they gave of their own free will. Look at verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Second thing is this. Sacrificial giving comes from a willing heart, not from the pressure of need. It's not out of pressure. You should feel no pressure in this campaign. I'm asking you to be willing, be available, to pray and obey. That's it. And if you ever feel manipulation or coercion for me or anybody else on this stage, just don't give. Don't give in that. It drives me crazy when I see preachers and televangelists saying, if you don't give, the lights are going to go off. I'm like, turn them off then. (laughs) We don't do that here. If you don't give, somebody else will step up and give more. That's the way it works at the Father's house. What we're saying is you have an opportunity, but don't do it out of reluctance. Let's get our heart in this thing. Say, God, I'm so glad I get to be a channel of you. I'm just falling apart up here. Pray for me, Donna. Everything's coming unglued. Giving with reluctance. I got worked by the Girl Scouts the other day. I know. It's horrible. Love the Girl Scouts. Hope the troop leaders stay with it. So I'm coming out of Ace Hardware. I'm a big Ace Hardware fan. How about you? I'm not even being sponsored by them, but just great customer service. So they should at least give me a little red vest for this plug. So I'm I'm coming out of Ace Hardware and there's a Girl Scouts, man, right out the front door. And like, would you, we're going to camp. Would you like to give and buy one of these tickets? I can go to camp. And I was like, honestly, telling the truth. I'm like, I'm I'm in a hurry as usual. And and I said, uh, I'm cashless, man. I don't have any cash on me. And immediately like, oh no, you can Venmo. You can swipe this. We have a fob. They got like 15 ways they can get money out of me. I'm like, snap. I get out my camera and take, you know, Venmo, money being sucked out of my pockets. God bless the Girl Scouts. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I gave with a bit of reluctance. Now, and it didn't last long, but don't worry about it. <laughs> what I'm saying is that's not how we give to what God is doing. Remember, it's the grace of giving. He wants you to excel in the grace of giving. And so I want to give you one more. Uh, well, actually, There's a lot of content in this journey guide. So before I give you the last last bit of scripture here, uh, if you're in this journey with us, here's, I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to go to pages 140 through 148 this week and just take some time and let the Holy Spirit deal with you and go through those pages and, and in that ask God, God, what would you have me to do? The third thing is this, sacrificial giving is the evidence of grace that initiates a cycle of more grace and more provision. There is a cycle that takes place, a final portion of scripture, and then I've got an exciting announcement I'm going to give you. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Guys, study this in your word. Get this in your spirit. Highlight it. This is gold right here. Now remember this. 
He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously, the blessings may come to others, will also reap generously and be blessed. So the level of blessing and provision is up to you based on your sowing. That's what he's saying. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. And God is able, can you just say those words? God is able to make all grace, to make all grace, that is every favor and earthly blessing. In other words, look at this. God is calling financial provision grace and grace financial provision. They're interchangeable in this verse. They're synonymous. God is able to make all financial provision abound toward you and come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything and have an abundance for every good work and every act of charity. The New Living Translation says this. You're going to have plenty left over to share with others. Listen. Listen. There's a cycle of grace, and here's what it is. Grace comes first, and you respond. And as you get on that altar of surrender that we talked about last week, there's going to be moments where God's going to ask you to make a sacrifice. And then when you sacrifice, his provision arrives. And when his provision arrives, you live with an open hand, and you extend the kingdom. And when you do that, guess what happens? More grace comes. And a new altar of sacrifice comes. And we go from grace to grace, from glory to glory. And we find this cycle of living with an open hand. Not for us, but for those that are far from God. And that's why we build. And that's why we do what we do here at the Father's house. We invest because people's lives are changed through what we do in this place. And I just want to take a moment and personally thank some people. Because the chairs you're sitting in right now, the speakers that are projecting my voice, the screens you're watching from, and the beautiful parking lot you pulled up on today, all that is a result of the, the sacrifice of many people. And our sacrifice builds something tangible, and buildings are not eternal, but what happens inside of them is. You know, we built this building, we put in a lot of high-end and quality uh, equipment, and some ridiculed and mocked us, and you know, uh, kind of pulled a Judas, hey, that stuff, you know, you could sell all those lights and cameras and give the money to the poor, but Judas has his hand in the bag ripping stuff off anyway, so watch out for the Judas spirit. But behind um, the, the wall over here, there's a part of the church that probably many of you have not been into, and it's a part of what we do here. Would you show them? This is the recording studio, and this is where we record albums for Champions Club, and we do all the mix down for the online stream, and what we produce here is now in, in all the prisons and county jails in 34, now 35 states in America, and it happens because of the quality and the excellence of the recording studio. And yeah, there's a staff, and there's people that run it, and then here's the production room. They're back there right now. I love you guys. Everybody just give out a shout or a hand clap. That's what they're doing right now. And if you think of all the production and the cameras and the lights and all that it takes, you think, why all the investment? Well, let me tell you, because it produces something for eternity. Let me tell you just one of tens of thousands of stories. I grew up with this guy named George, and uh, we grew up together, went to church, we fell away from God, we partied hard for a decade, and, and really got lost in the weeds, and then we came back to faith, and then he went through a horrible church situation, he backslid, he was away from God for 25 years. Now, 
A year ago, next Sunday, Chris, uh, excuse me, Easter of 2022, George is at home on his couch in Winston, Oregon, and guess what he's watching? A Father's House Easter. And at the end of last Easter service, George hit the button, lifted his hand, and after 25 years, came back to faith. In fact, he's on the front row. George, would you stand up? He's my guest today. So that's why we do what we do, and we do it with excellence. Did you know that excellence is the atmosphere of heaven? Do you know that God anoints excellence? And because of the excellence of the, of the Prison Church Network programming, one after another door began to open because of what is happening through the program. Now, now listen closely. Uh, I shared this last week. It started out with two prisons here, three, and then the state. And then you guys heard the miracle of how we got in every prison in the state of California, then the women's prisons. And then a couple weeks ago, or just over a week ago, uh, through an app, we are now in every prison and county jail uh, across America. And it's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I, and I want to show you something because what we do, and by the way, you need to hear this, lean in. What we record and produce is transmitted digitally. In other words, the anointing gets through your phone. The anointing comes through the screen. The anointing can show up in a living room in Winston, Oregon. The anointing went through the screen and hit Celine in Iran last week. In fact, last week there was a lady in Alabama who was, I should go on name because I'm gonna tell, tell what she did. Um, she was watching uh, me preach and watching what we do and watching the worship and the Holy Spirit spoke to her and she just uh, had a bit of a, a windfall of money come into her hands because she's betting on the ponies down at Santa Rita. And so, Santa Anita, Santa Anita. And uh, so she took a large chunk of that and she sent it to the Father's house because God moved on her heart. Now someone's thinking, wait a minute, can you take gambling money and use it for the Lord? You know, you bet you can. Hey, as soon as that money hits these boxes, it is sanctified and made holy. Right? I, you know, I bet you got 20 bucks in your pocket that you, was used for a drug deal somewhere. You don't know. But as soon as you stick it in the giving box, it's holy unto the Lord. So this, this lady in Alabama, she said, randomly sends us a check for over $10,000 last week to help with the Beyond campaign, to help build a building that, well, I hope she comes out and visits, but she may not even be there. You know, one wise sage said this, plant trees of which you will never sit under the shade of. That's what we're doing here. We're building a building. I might not be around to watch the young kids. You, do you know, just over a year and a half from now, when this is all done, we're gonna have a, a middle school service led by middle schoolers and high schoolers, a 500-seat auditorium right there, coming to Christ, youth services, training, discipleship classes. We're building, we're planting a tree, and we may not get to sit underneath that shade, but I'll tell you what, thousands of people will. I, I digress. What we are exporting, and band, you can come on out, it'll help me close. What we are exporting is not sermon content. We're not exporting a pretty good band and some you know, Christian worship. I tell you what people are tapping into, and you have everything to do with it. What's transmitting is what happens in this room. It says in Psalm 22.3 that he is holy who is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. 
In other words, when you come together and you lift up your voice and begin to sing Is He Worthy like you did earlier today with all your heart and soul, the atmosphere changes. The weight and the presence of God rests on a group of people. It's transmitted through the screens. And well, let me show you what happened in the prison this week. Bring up this last graphic right here. Uh, this is the new app. We're now in 35 states. You can see that in seven days, 28,878 total views around the nation. Look over here, 2,525 inmates hit the button, said, I'm gonna subscribe to this program, get push notifications, be on every week. And can you see the number in the middle? In seven days, 39 inmates across the states came to Jesus because of your investment. Come on. What do you say we live for something bigger than ourselves? What do you say we live with an open hand? That we learn this cycle of sacrifice and grace and provision and sacrifice and grace and provision until we step back and go, I can't believe what you're doing. Can you believe? No, listen, I know I'm going a little long. Bear with me two more minutes. Can you believe God is using you and your worship in every prison and every county jail in 35 states in America every week and people are coming to Christ? Can you believe that? And he's going to do more and more, and it's gonna keep expanding. And all he's looking for is a group of people that say, God, I'm all yours. What do you wanna do through me in this campaign? I'm surrendered, I'll listen, and I'll obey, and we will live to see, and our children will live to see, and our grandchildren, listen, our grandchildren will be raised up in a move of God that comes from this place. There is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we have been privileged, and God has, he's found the humble and the broken. He's found a people that have got over themselves. I'm prophesying now. And he said, I'm going to pour my spirit. I'm going to entrust you with a move of God that will impact states and nations. I found a people that will host my presence and not let it be about them. And I will give you the riches of the Gentiles. I will pour wealth into your hands. I will build something far bigger than you can imagine. All I need is all of you. That's all he needs. In Jesus' name. For more information on our church and other teaching resources, log on to our website at tfh.org or call our office at 707-455-7790.